Welcome to Content Pros Podcast, where we unlock the strategies and secrets of the best content marketers in the world and ask the questions you've always wanted asked. Content Pros is sponsored by predictive content analytics software, Inbound Writer, and online proofing and collaboration platform, Proof HQ. Now, here are your hosts from Oracle Marketing Cloud, Chris Moody, and from Uberflip, Randy Frisch. Ready? Let's talk to the pros. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Content Pros. Today, we are very excited to be joined by Todd Wheatland. Thanks so much, Chris. Uh, it's great to have Todd on the show. Todd, thanks for taking the time. I know you're a different part of the world, but uh, luckily, we're all connected on a podcast here. And for those who who don't know Todd, uh, he is the head of strategy at King Content, and uh, we'll definitely hear more about what that is. But you know, aside from running an agency today, the the great thing about Todd is he's got a lot of practical experience running his own content strategies, where he was VP of marketing at Kelly Services for quite some time. So, uh, Todd, welcome uh, to Content Pros, and uh, maybe you can start off by just telling us a little bit about why you made that jump, uh, you know, from from being in the leadership role of a company to help other companies. Thank you Randy and Chris and um, great and slightly unexpected first question so <laughs> I think it was probably ignorance and naivety that maybe maybe jump. I probably from a practical sense I've been I've been living and working outside of Australia which is where I live um, now for um, I've been away for close to nine years and when when I came back, I guess it, it's a very difficult zone to to really run a, a global team from. Time zones uh, are challenging, especially when your teams are based um, in, in major centers elsewhere. And uh, to be honest, it was it probably just became geographically impossible to try to achieve what I had been doing and still have a family um, life and any semblance of, of social life. So I it pro- I probably. I probably was looking around for something different and the types of roles that I'd been used to doing just just weren't there and I think from a broader perspective I'd always worked you know this is my first agency gig so I've always worked on the on the, on the corporate side before but I think that the maturity level in Australia um, and Asia in general was slightly behind that of the US so if you like my experience in you know deep corporate global land was Quite unique for this marketplace coming in, and that was uh, that was very exciting. Right? So there's a high demand for um, people to um, want to try access that, especially as content marketing started getting you know, hotter and hotter. And it just, I, I guess, in the end, the, the opportunities were too great to uh, to sit inside a safe bubble any longer, and um, decided to, to jump into agency land. So Todd, you were hitting on global, and this is almost a selfish question, but I think there are lots of attendees who are probably wondering the same thing. So I work at Oracle Marketing Cloud. We're a big global organization, and could you talk to some of the differences and some of the challenges of launching content globally? So a lot of the folks you work with, big, massive brands. I know you guys are up for eight content marketing awards at Content Marketing Institute, so congratulations Mm -hmm. there. But when you're thinking about deploying content, to different markets, which will inevitably have different personas, different pain points, different needs. How do you try to build in as much success as possible to the content you produce or help others produce? 
That's a very multi-layered question, and I'm assuming it's the last one for the podcast, and I'll just talk for the next <laughs> half hour. So here I go. Uh, no, I look. I think with anything, when you're trying to scale it, the 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 challenge is to force yourself to look for the things in common rather than the things that are different. Um, and that's that's kind of like a guiding principle when you're trying to scale is to at some point you've got to you've got to rein it in um, like I said you know different personas everyone's different right we're all unique and it's very easy to look at well gee people in Brussels are very different from the people from the south of Belgium and and of course they are right but we're all humans in the end and um, ultimately you've got to find those those key you know, unifying values that can make communication um, trans, trans, translatable, transferable across borders. That's a very esoteric sort of way of starting. But I think from a, um, you know, you talked about you talked about Oracle Marketing Cloud. So any, and this is, a, I think, a, a blind spot for a lot of U.S. multinationals, which has been a lot of my experience um, in, in terms of working and, and now in client servicing, a, a very readily admitted blind spot for many companies is that, even where there's a very strong, um, uh, you know, even award-winning uh, machine of focus, you know, years and years of, of heritage of of uh, content marketing, say, or, you know, integrated content and social and distribution, and people who really, you know, often with American tech companies, for example, it's come from the the um, the need to generate leads. So it's coming from a B two B environment where organisations are uh, really understand how to generate leads and nurture those and pull them through using technology. Those models are um, often engineered for the head office. It's like well, where the the marketing teams are sitting in the US. The the um, core focus from a business and competitive perspective is against US organisations. So everyone's really engineered for that to service that market and the global organization which you know may then be in another 80 100 countries is a they don't have the same scale but they've got their own unique market needs and the the engine that's gotten so good at servicing this this one really really big and the, the key important market just hasn't got the expertise all the time to actually scale that um, that content program in a way that's actually going to be fit for market locally because you have to make compromises. You cannot possibly put the same amount of effort in to create original content and um, and resource that through people and, and bring in the same agencies and work at the same sort of structure that you had done um, to pull that off in the US. So there's this there's this gap in thinking where the the, the local countries, about, let's take say Thailand for, for a big American tech company, still has local market needs, but they have a very generalist resource sitting in country who wears many hats in addition to being the person who has to try to get leads for sales. And to get a program right for that person, it's a totally different, um, totally different solution required than what is currently being delivered elsewhere. And that is the challenge that a lot of companies really can't, can't make. I mean, there are many others, but when, uh, you know, if, if I was to generalize, I think it's this uh, this inability to just lift and drop, and we've all been through the you know, do you translate, do you localize? What's cheaper? What's more cost effective? The fact is, the content that really works in local markets is really local content, and if you're not delivering that, if you can't find a way to to actually 
deliver some form of locally engaging content really crafted for that local audience, then someone who's a local competitor or who has um, a high priority on that particular market will beat you in that market. And that's the, the, the brutal reality that a lot of companies you know, have slowly learned how to face. And I think around, um, I think there's definitely the technology tool set has lagged a lot for, for, for organizations. There's some great ways of doing this and technology is not the only answer. But uh, ultimately, there's, there has to be a realization that you cannot just take a vanilla approach and go bang, now we're global. Uh, you have to really craft, find a way to craft things at a, at a different scale. And that's, um, that's kind of where, where we've been playing with our focus. That's uh, that's really interesting, Todd. And uh, you know, it's funny. I can relate. To my first job at a university some 15 years ago, I was a more of a product marketing manager, but uh, had to deal with that for Canada versus you know U.S. initiatives. And I remember it's overwhelming because you want to start from the ground up, but you can't always do that. So, you know, maybe more of a question tying back to content is when you when you see these regional geographic locations who need to adapt, do you often encourage them to kind of start from the beginning and determine a persona or do you try and get them to and, and build content from the ground up or more so adapt the content assets that, that are created by, by the headquarters? Look, I think in the end uh, there needs to be a pragmatic balance of both, right? So that definitely um, the way I would say it is headquarters would always like to see their, their, their beautiful content assets being deployed as far and wide as possible. So everyone's keen to see economies of scales achieved. Um, however, what I, what I would say is that it is essential to start with a, strat a, a strategic mindset targeted around the local market. You've got to understand the audience. You cannot, um, you cannot just uh, put this lens of the, the culture or the environment you're sitting in and assume, gee, okay, well, there, there must be very similar in North Korea because this stuff worked in Japan. Um, that's, you know, that, and, and that sort of thinking goes on a lot. It's really, you know, there's, apart from anything else, um, guys, you know, as, as you know, your own companies have very different levels of penetration and um, success in those markets, right? So the, the, the association of your brand or the meaning of your, your, your brand in that market is totally different depending on whether people have even heard of you, what they may think of you, whether there's a strong local, com, you know, com, uh, competitor or more in that same space that are, that are much more meaningful. Um, so that, that whole context of, of what your brand can represent and the trust value of, of what it can be, there's a lot of, it's not just the audience perception, it's who are we in this market and what right do we have to, to be having this sort of conversation with people. I think, on, I think on the persona question, another way of looking at it, and we've had this, um, we've had this uh, discussion ongoing in my own organisation quite a bit of late, is personas are extremely helpful. But ultimately, what um, you know, the the element of that persona build that which you're trying to get to is really what is what's the consumer doing? What what's the behaviour that actually drives the decision to purchase or to engage in this in this space? And that's a much more nuanced type of interpretation of uh, persona than most people go to. Um, you know, it's very. I, I think there's I think there's a lot of really bad persona work that, that goes on. Um, and I think a lot of people sort of you know, try to stick to these. Uh, you either see people develop them and go, that's great, and then put them in a filing cabinet and walk away, 
and never really refer to them particularly well again, or they use them with a high degree of rigidity, um, which uh, implies that they are perfect when in fact they are nothing but an approximation of someone of of what a reality could be. And I think understand the drivers, the emotional drivers of why people are doing things is is a really key thing in in any sort of persona work. That was a really long rambling question. I apologize. I'll answer rather. I apologize. Yeah, it's, it's good advice, though. We'll, no, I, we'll I think it. that was, yeah, that's great advice. I think most marketers are striving to be persona-based marketers, but many may actually be trying to reach an audience that they don't have. So I know that when I've talked to folks at events, a lot of people are talking to marketers or marketing managers or the practitioners, and their boss or their bosses or whoever may want them to be in touch with CMOs or the purchase decision makers. So what advice do you have for folks who may have a current persona that they have to address that they don't already have in their audience? How do they reach some aspirational persona that doesn't exist for them yet? So I think the if you're, if you're speaking to an audience, and in a way it's, it's the same challenge that people face in a, um, entering a new market perhaps, um, or build or, or reposition themselves in the current market. And to step back even further, I think my you know, when when we're having client discussions, ultimately what we're trying to do is is solve a business challenge. And that business challenge can typically be mapped using a funnel. You know, is is this an aware an awareness challenge at the top of the funnel? Are you you know is do you have leads, but you're having, having trouble nurturing people through that to the point of actually making a buying decision? Is there a you know is there a loyalty loop um, challenge between people making first purchase and, and subsequent you know behaviour? So it's I find a funnel as, as challenging um, as as funnel thinking can be, or as linear and and um, incorrect as funnel thinking can be. I find it quite a useful way of looking at um, business challenges in this um, marketing to sales trade-off um, landscape and think, well, what actually, where is the where is the, the business challenge involved in all of this? If there's an audience that you're currently working with um, that is useful and that you have, um, you know, you have an approach for, then absolutely that's a very, you know, it's a very different, it's a very different set of um Challenges and probably content elements that that need to be created to um, to build out for a separate audience. Uh, you know, it's repurposing content. It's re, it's usually reimagining, I, I believe, content to you know, be able to come to that audience. And a lot of organisations do that around um, you know taking a generic piece of content which may work very well with, say, that marketing manager profile you talked about before, and Reimagining that into something that's specifically targeted to a you know a specific industry, or to a you know more like the CMO's guide to, or the um, you know or the CEO's guide to. It's it's lifting that. It's putting a new lens through the same set of data, and ultimately that's all we're ever doing. We're we're looking at a we're looking at an issue. We're we're, we're communicating about a topic. But we're looking through the lens of that new audience, and sometimes that's a hugely different um, inference, and sometimes it's very, very similar, and it's really just how you frame in and structure and communicate and where you place that asset in the in the actual uh, digital pathway, if you like, for that audience. So is it is it significant enough to split off into a whole different pathway and communication structure, 
or is it really just a, you know, a one-off or um, you know, a gated asset or, some, or something that's going to be trying to specifically enter into a specific space um, related to an email communication, for example. So I think there's, there's many ways you can do that, but ultimately it's, it's the realization that, yeah, if I'm, if I'm a really senior person or I really know a lot about a certain, a certain space, then I don't want to see the same thing that's not talking to me the, because someone else is going to be able to give that to me. That's the content. This sort of micro content is, is the stuff that, that does it, that, that performs, as I'm sure you guys know, it performs extremely well. If you can get that right piece of content in front of the right audience, and that's where the games really change. Gee, I am rambling this morning, but let me go on that riff for a little minute. <laughs> I, think the, I think the game has changed significantly the last 12 months in particular, whereby you cannot just, uh, you know, say five years ago, you, you could really quite confidently go out and start doing this stuff and expect to build an audience if you were consistent and hit frequency levels. I think the game's much more now about, um, much less about volume of content production and much more about um, being really clear uh, around who you're trying to target with, creating great content consistently, not, but not every day and maybe once a week, maybe even once a month, maybe even less frequently, but it's knowing that every single touch point you bring to that audience is relevant and engaging and serves a purpose. And rather than just assuming people are going to find it because they won't, you're then investing in the, the pathway that's going to get that content in front of the right people. So it's not, it's not necessarily just high frequency and high touch. It's about high relevance and, and often paying to get that in front of fresh audiences who are the right audience. That's uh, that's some great uh, great practical uh, takeaways I think there, Todd. And it's it's also a great segue for us to talk about one of the sponsors of Content Pros here, and that's Inbound Writer. Um, and you know we're talking a lot as you were just now about the right content and figuring out who you want to write for. And you know wouldn't it be great to to actually know which content will be right uh, before you go in ahead and put it down on paper. And that's that's where Inbound Writer comes into play. Uh, it's a content analysis tool that forecasts how your content will perform based on real-time analysis of your site, your competition, and your search engine behaviors. Inbound Writer tells you which topics will work, which ones don't, and removes a lot of that guesswork of the content creation process. Uh, they're offering a free month trial of the tool to Content Pro listeners. So if you check out inboundwriter.com forward slash content pros offer, and uh, we'll make sure that that's available for everyone in the show notes. So moving on here, you know, one of the things I'd, I'd love to get your opinion of, and you talk a lot about targeting uh, with content and finding the right people. One of the things I know you're a big believer in is is using LinkedIn um, as a way to drive inbound leads for yourself, inbound leads for your clients. And I think you know it, LinkedIn has definitely become a great new channel over the last couple of years that people are taking a lot of notice to. I'd love to hear some of the the practical examples of of how you're using it as as a content strategy. Yeah, great. It's, it's interesting, actually. I was with someone um, senior from LinkedIn last night, and they happened to mention, and that it was very interesting, the, the viewpoint they had, that they really felt that we were one of the first who um, actively identified that was, there was an under, underutilized platform that, um, you know, everyone was getting giddy with excitement around 
around Pinterest and around um, Snapchat and around every single type of um, new platform as it comes along. But and from a personal perspective, for you know, for many years I've been a, a strong proponent of both SlideShare originally and and probably um, LinkedIn and definitely the, the the combination of the two in terms of um, lead gen and lead nurturing. But you know, LinkedIn always it never was the sexy network, right? It was always it always came it always had that you know business persona which you know five years ago wasn't cool and suddenly you know everything's shifted to enterprise again and and it is cool and the the same types of um same types of tool set that is is available or applied through other platforms is is now you know everything's starting to look a bit vanilla but where where linkedin's come from and its legacy of um, business network connections is really it's 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 massive strength now. This ability to target through LinkedIn is is extraordinary. So what um, we are definitely we we have a large number of B two B clients and even a large number of what we would call prosumer audience type um, organizations. So that, you know anyone who's targeting um, high net worth individuals, um, you know, professional professional employees, whether that's you know training organisations, whether it's investment um, platforms, whether it's real estate. There's many reasons why people targeting individuals, not people targeting businesses, uh, would want to use a platform like LinkedIn because of its, its demographic um, um, slice is so is so rich. Um, but we we definitely have been strong advocates of. Um, of LinkedIn's um, platform and its 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 products, so as well as being a very valued client of ours um, in many regions, we are also um, you know very strong proponent and and int introduce and use that platform for for our other organisations as part of that mix. And that what I just described before as um, the ability or the need to really think distribution from the get-go when you're creating content. It's not just about, well, let's get this, get this stuff out and, and let's see what happens. It really is, um, let's, let's consciously envision how we're going to be paying for distribution to um, get this asset into the, into the marketplace. And that, that shapes both the type of content um, and the structure of that content and the frequency of that content as you develop it. And that makes it much easier as you start to then um, you know, put it put into the in the marketplace. I mean, a very common very common thing that we see now is it's less about it's more like micro targeting. So it's less about gee, let's just um, let's just put X dollars behind a piece of content a day, and much more about you know, monitoring in real time what content is performing well organically. And that will then drive the budget for where you should be investing it. So it's it's more like having well, let's have X amount a month that we know we're going to use to to get this story out there, and we will then uh, make a, a micro decision based on the performance organically of that content to actually determine where we're going to put that money. Um, so I, I mean, I could I could wrap it on about that sort of thing forever, That's but I. I <laughs> No, I, I, I like where you're going with this and you know, one of the things that I always rave about LinkedIn and you know, I'm a little biased with LinkedIn. I've I've always used it, I've always thought it's great. We also have at Uberflip we have an investor who's part of the senior LinkedIn team. So um but you know, I what I've always liked about LinkedIn is is very similar to, to what I think is very addictive about 
you know, channels like Twitter as well, is that there's this infinite scroll of content. So I often say that I'll spend five minutes at the end of the day to go catch up on a channel like LinkedIn, and 20 minutes I'm still there because there's this journey of relevant content. So how do you think brands can kind of, you know, emulate that, you know, experience that LinkedIn is showing on, the, you know, the rest of their content experiences that they may be powering, be it on their website, be it on other microsites that they're creating. What type of, you know, what can we learn from the way LinkedIn, as you said, has transformed itself in the last couple of years? Mm -hmm. that's, a, that's a very interesting question. I, I mean, I think what, at the heart of, at the heart of what LinkedIn's um, publishing platform success is, one, they've got great players, right? So that the whole slideshow technology integrated into into a LinkedIn platform, so you know, video plays really nicely. The the you know, the, it's a much more visual platform than it's ever been before. There's, um, to your point, this this infinite scroll um, tactic, especially in the influencer posts, that um, really draws you through into the next the next nugget or the next story, and and very 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 neat little um, you know little. Uh, design elements that you know that cue those next stories up in the column as as you shift through. So they've they've done they're doing all the right things about experimentation for stickiness, and I haven't seen um, recently, or I'm certainly not going to get the number right off the top of my head, but the um, you know that that time on site, all all, the, all those great metrics that that Lincoln as they move to this publishing platform model. Um, we're trying to we're trying to achieve. I'm sure they're well on the way to achieving. I think from a from a corporate perspective, you think outside the platform. Much like the fears everyone has about Facebook about um, you know becoming this this place where your content lives and no one's ever going to come back to your site again. Uh, what I see in in LinkedIn's um, egalitarian model of uh, of, of publishing. Or, or the, the, the since they've freed up this longer form posting for everyone, you know, there's a, been a huge amount of experimentation on this. You know, what are we actually trying to achieve? Are we trying to pull people back to our site? Are we trying to are we trying to keep people here? Are we, are we trying to republish my old blog posts back into this environment? I think the <coughs> excuse me. I think the the key with anything is is consistency, just like with any other platform. Uh, I think a lot of people I see a lot of people chopping and changing be, between their Approaches here, but I think the I, I think what what the people I see and certainly the client organisations I see doing well are those like with any other platform, like whether it's your email channel, whether it's your own website, you've got to think what unique value am I giving to this audience right here? This is the the future and and even the current day. It's not about wow, look at all these shiny things, all these great um, platforms. I can press a button or copy paste and just spam them all with the same story. Every single platform has to be thought through in its own way, and if you cannot afford to have a genuine conversation in that place, it's increasingly useful. Sorry, it's in, it's decreasingly useful. That it's like a half double negative. It's decreasingly useful to actually just spam it out into that channel because you're not building anything. You're not. You're not. It's clear to that audience you're not trying to um, really build a genuine relationship there. Um, you're often trying to pull them back to your own site, so you're not recognizing the fact that people want to hang out in that place. Um, the, the posts that I see working are people where you're really crafting something, the right length, the right fit, the right tone for that environment, and then you're giving people the options um, to come back to your own platform, whether that's for a, you know, a squeeze page or an opportunity page or whatever it is. You're not, 
you're not making the post inherently about driving them off the platform. You're making that post about something useful on that platform and then giving them the option to bring to come in for something more or something else or just a constant reminder in the footer that, gee, do you know what? We, we do this. Why don't you come and visit one day when you're ready? And that's, um, that's a really big shift for a lot of people, and a lot of people still haven't made that shift. But I think that the environment's moved on. You've got to react. I love it. And you mentioned slide shares. One of the amazing sponsors that make this show happen is Proof HQ, and they can help you collaborate on tons of content, including slide share, infographics, blog posts, ebooks. But it actually helps with the content creation process. So the problem right now with content creation, you have tons of approvals and edits. Different people weigh in with their feedback, like make the logo bigger. Does this pop off the page? Is this the best photo we have? You can kill all that drama with Proof HQ. It's a slick web-based system that allows everyone on your team to instantly collaborate on content executions. You'll save more time. You'll be more productive, all using Proof HQ. You can check it out at bit.ly slash proofhq. So Todd, we only have time for one more serious question, and then we have a fun question for you. But I, I was curious, you've hit on this a little bit earlier, how you know the content producers need to focus more on relevant content than quantity of content. And then you were also talking a bit about how, you know, as LinkedIn is built out, you have to deliver relevant content there, and you're not necessarily trying to take people off-site. So the traditional content model, especially for enterprises, was always keep people on your content hub, whether that's your blog or web page, try to convert them into a lead, provide gated assets to do that, et cetera, et cetera. Where do you think that's going over the next few years with the big change many of the networks have made, like Facebook and LinkedIn, to try to keep people on site? So are brands going to have to have multiple home bases, or is it just going to be put your content everywhere and hope that they come back and create or complete some form to get them in your lead process? Look, I think one of the surprise, perhaps surprising things about a lot of client engagements we have is the realization that they pretty much know who they need to speak to and that and that finding identifying those individuals that is you know, finding their LinkedIn profile let's use that as an example or their Twitter profile or their email address dare say it from you know from any number of different sources getting that data often isn't actually the challenge anymore it's it's working out what what to do with it after you have it, and that's the that's the challenge because that's where it becomes it's it's not the it's definitely not the lead capture and it's definitely not um it's definitely what I would not what I would consider marketing automation in the traditional sense. It's really this: Are you committed to a relationship with an audience? Because if you are, step up and do something with that audience. Because finding and getting the audience isn't the biggest challenge. But it, it's it's actually working out what to do with them once you've got them. Uh, and you don't need all of them to start doing something amazing and engaging and unique. Um, just um, you know, the reason why um, content marketing often seems to be vanilla is because it, excuse me, it's worked so well that those tactics and techniques that you know that have been proven as pilots in organisations, people go, "That's fantastic! That's times ten. And 
produce more content and move it into this next division and do bang, 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 bang. And we've all, you know, this huge explosion in the volume and the scale and, and complexity and layers and technology, et cetera, in this space means that, you know, we're st a lot of people still operating like it was three years ago in terms of, well, here, here's the process, great, let's, um, you know, let's, let's um, you know, make that into a factory and, and just do more of it. And it's, I think it's getting diminishing returns. Uh, I think it has been getting diminishing returns for a while, but it's 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 not just a um, it's not just a simple repivoting. Okay, great. Well, we need to do this tactically a little bit differently. I think when you've got so much overwhelming content, um, you've really got to reflect on what it is you're trying to deliver and stop treating people just with this, you know, um, a just with a technical approach. Obviously, technology is incredibly important in this space, but you don't you can't just look at people just with a technical approach. You've really got to look at it from a, a storytelling, um, audience focus, genuine sort of mindset. And that's when I say it's not it's not about that one thing you do every day um, to keep your and to keep your pipeline nurtured. It's thinking about if I was sitting here in this audience, what is the how can I stand out from this cacophony of other vendors shouting at them all this amazing stuff that they don't have time to read or consume. And what actual value can I provide in their lives that's different and unique? And often that is not going to be um, bringing them back to your own website to read some white paper or coming back to your website for pretty much anything because, you know what, that's a distraction in their day. What value can you provide given the frameworks and the structure of those other platforms that's actually going to give them, give them a, a, a positive reception towards your brand for that time when the next um, the next transaction is going to take place, because the, the technology is going to take care of itself, right? If you're if you're across this stuff, you're gonna you know we're going to have increasingly nuanced understanding of exactly when that potential audience person is making the right buying signals through their digital exhaust that they're interested in buying some a particular type of solution at a particular point in time. But te that technology stuff it's going to keep happening and being more sophisticated. What the challenge from marketers is going to be how can I actually have a, uh, a good, um, perhaps uh, you know, un, um, unresolved relationship with that potential audience person, um, such that when they are ready to buy, then I can both identify it, but that they, they're in some form of audience type platform that I'm managing that is is valuable to them, and it does that doesn't necessarily mean an, a captured email address and a weekly newsletter. Yeah, Todd, I think I think you're bang on there. I, I think you're you know just getting into the tip of really talking about personalization and that journey that we started to talk about. Um, you know, but we're gonna you know for this serious talk, as uh, Chris said, we're gonna have to leave that until the two of you are on a panel at Content Marketing World coming up soon. But we always <laughs> do try and uh, you know finish off with a with a fun question that allows us to look back on on some of these content pros we have on the show, like yourself, and and see how you got here and take you back to your childhood and trying to remember what it was that you were looking forward to be. Um, you know, is it what you are today or was it something completely different? Um, I, I'm curious, uh, and I haven't listened to all, all your episodes, but I'm curious how many people you would interview who would say that they are, they are exactly what they thought they were going to be. Um, I can't imagine many people craving, you know, craving to be a content marketer. You know, it's one of those great, <laughs> great professions that... that uh, the BLS data says, you know, it didn't exist 10 years ago, and so how did anyone ever study to get there? I, look, for me personally, I think I was always um, 
probably in my mind I thought I was going to be a writer, and I've had various you know, stabs and attempts and 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 um, you know wrong turns along that path. Both um, you know, so long form reportage sort of um, writing was is definitely a passion of mine and and something I used to um, used to do quite a lot of. But anywhere between that, you know, writing, um, acting. Filmmaking, f photography, anywhere in that sort of um, creative arts space is something that I, I guess I've always dallied in and continue to. But um, was probably you know my, my driver or main interest as a creative outlet growing up. Well, content marketing is the perfect fit. You can get things for every single channel: visual, video, whatever you need. There you go. There you go. It was it was it was destiny. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Todd. It's been an amazing chat. I've learned a ton. I know that I'm going to go back and listen to this a few times and apply some of this at work. And on behalf of Content Pros, I'm Chris Moody from Oracle Marketing Cloud. Randy Brisch is from Uberflip. We thank you guys for joining today, and we'll talk to you all soon. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, anywhere you get podcasts, and you can learn more at contentprospodcast.com. We'll talk to you guys next week. Thanks. Thanks for tuning in to Content Pros. Please leave a review and subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast listening app. Go to contentprospodcast.com for a complete show archive and greatest hits. Content Pros is sponsored by Oracle Marketing Cloud, Uberflip, Proof HQ, and Inbound Writer, and is produced by Convince and Convert Media. Find more great shows like Content Pros at marketingpodcast.com the first search engine for marketing podcasts. Podcast imaging by... Audio.